Welcome to an inspirational message recorded live at Little Falls Christian Center. Father, it is so fascinating to find that every time you want to minister your word, then through the music or through a word or through discussion, you just confirm it. We have this authority through Christ Jesus. And we thank you that Jesus Christ, not only did you die on the cross, but you live. And with you we reign for eternity because we have the authority in Christ. And if you believe it, give the Lord a praise offering. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you very much, band. Thank you, thank you so much. You know, they can sing that over and over again, over and over again. And it's wonderful and such a privilege to once again be with you. It's amazing how quickly time flies. Last Sunday, this time, we were all out there in the open. And what an amazing night it was. And now we're pushing forward because we're now in the month of October. And, you know, for the benefit of those, and just also a welcome to our live stream audience as well. But for the benefit of those, and there are quite a few people who have joined this church during the course of the year, and probably so during the course of last year, and who are not aware of this, but year in October month, we treat October very seriously because this is when we really put our heads down and we focus on one thing and that is prayer. So not the average prayer. It's not the normal kind of prayer. In fact, we have sort of called it Prayer October for us who are part of this congregation. So if this is something new to you, we want to say welcome joining us this month with the Prayer of October because everything that we do from year on in is a build-up to what we're going to do on that last Sunday. And we can't wait till then. We have to prepare ourselves for that because just as the title is given here, which is something that was burst in Pastor Harold's heart, was that we have the most powerful weapon of mass destruction, and that is prayer. If we sit with this weapon, we have to activate it. And the body of Christ needs to know how to activate prayer. And you probably have heard many sermons and many scriptures and references concerning prayer. So if you do, in some way or fashion, remember some of the scriptures that I mentioned, then pardon me if I bore you with quoting scripture again, but let your spirit just be encouraged because of this. But there are a few things that I would like to mention tonight concerning this. And as a prelude, I want to start with this. You know, there's a, a, a worship leader in, in, in the USA, and, and he, he's well known. I suppose you've all heard of, or many, let's, let's not assume, many have heard of a, a gentleman by the name of Phil Wickham. Now, he composed and sang, sang songs such as um, uh, The Battle Belongs, The Battle Belongs to the Lord, and This Is Amazing Grace, etc. Now, I read something about him which was rather profound, and it all relates to prayer, and he was saying that during COVID last year, he and the friends of him in the ministry whom he's associated with, they started reflecting on where they are in their walk with God. And the thing that kept on coming up was his prayer life. And he said he got to the stage where he realized he wanted to get rid of the fluff. He called it the fluff. 
you know, saying the right words when he prayed. Because he says many times he led prayer in worship sessions, and they were only just words. He said he was saying the right words. And how many of us fall prey to that? Just praying the right words. We've heard somebody say these words, and we just say them. And I myself have been guilty of this. And I got to the point where I just realized for myself what purpose it is to pray, and it's just mere words. I'm wasting my time. Nothing is going to change, number two. And I dishonor God by just speaking mere words. And, and in his words, Phil Wickham goes on and he says, I was challenged to really believe in prayer. He says, because Prayer had to become my go-to in the big things and the small things. And this is what he said. And then I turned to the Bible and I started studying all the saints of the Old Testament and the New Testament of how they prayed. How powerful is that? He goes on to describe, he's now at the place, he cannot wait to go and get to that quiet place and just hear for God to speak to him. Because he says, we have, we have dislearned or unlearned to listen what God says to us. We are so busy with the life that we have out there that we do not hear from God anymore. Unless we make time to hear from God, we're not going to hear from God. And it made me think, where is the church today, the body of Christ, globally concerning prayer? Do we still hear the word of God? Because this came to my spirit. When we look at the world and we look at the church, how close are we to one another or how far removed are we from one another? In this present point in time, the church has never been as far from the world as today. And that far being far away doesn't mean that we living righteous and they living in sin. It means that the church is disconnected from the world. And we haven't discerned what, how the enemy was working with this. Because for 2,000 years, Satan has not changed his strategy. But the church has been lazy to discern this. The way that Satan operates is well known in God's word. And this is how he goes about. He came for Jesus. And every single time that he came for Jesus, he walked away with the proverbial blood nose. He couldn't stop what Jesus was doing. In the end, he realized this. I can't stop the miracles that Christ is doing. I'm going to go and kill him. I'm going to try and kill him. And even at that, he failed. Because Christ wasn't murdered. Christ sacrificed himself. If he couldn't stop Christ then, what was his plan then? He came for Christ's friends. He went for the disciples. At the time, they came and they wanted to, do, to discuss amongst one another who's the most important uh, amongst them. Even James and John became very not loved because their mother decided she will intervene and asked Christ, can my one son sit on your left and the other on your right? And the other disciples were obviously furious at this. Peter came to Christ and said to him, even if they deny you, I will not deny you. And we all know what the outcome of that was. The 12 came before Christ and said, let us go up to Jerusalem to die with you. And at the first time of hardship, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, when those soldiers came, they all ran away. One even went as far as betrayed him. Satan has always come for the church, the friends, the closeness 
those people who are close with Christ. And if the body of Christ can't see this, that we are not taking care of the church inside, we are absolutely, absolutely of no use to the world out there. That is why the world and the church is so far apart from one another. Two fundamental things, and it's not the only two, it is two fundamental things at the moment that the church itself cannot even agree to. Number one, the rapture. And number two, prayer. If you just go and listen out there what they say about the rapture, then here's some in, in, interesting but actually shocking statistic for you. Concerning all the churches out there, they say that only 36% of those who believe in the rapture, 36% say they, they believe the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation. 4% believe that it's going to happen in the middle. 18% believe that it's going to happen after the tribulation. 25% who used to believe in the rapture don't believe in it anymore. That is what the church is preaching. Now let me say this emphatically, and nobody's going to persuade me anything different because I've read this book, and I know there's so much more for me to read. But here's the thing. There's nothing in God's Word that doesn't talk about the rapture. It's there. It's there. So whatever you preach, and whoever preaches about this, if you exclude this, you're not preaching the truth. The second thing that I want to mention is about prayer. Churches are at loggerheads about prayer. How should we pray? How often should we pray? What should we pray? Should we pray in the Spirit? Is it permitted or not? No, it is not part of what we should do today. The churches can't even agree on prayer. If the church cannot be in unity concerning the rapture, which is teaching God's Word, and prayer, which is coming before God and seeking Him and for His guidance, if the church can't do this, are we surprised that the world is in such a mess? The fixing starts with us. Within the church, we have to guard against that spirit of division. We have to be clear of where we stand. Let me give you some sad information concerning prayer. We're not talking about prayer. We're talking about Christians who say that they pray. Let's see what they say. They say, and this is statistics that came from America, and I looked at uh, of information all over the globe. It's worse in Europe. It's half this. Africa is not so clear on this, but it's definitely lower than this. Of all the believers in the world, Christians, only 55% pray daily. 55%. And then this, and I, and I can't understand the statistics. They say 16% pray weekly. How do you pray weekly, once a week? For me, that means you're backsliding, you're not praying. I mean, do you eat once a week? Do you go to work once a week? Do you talk once a week? Why would you pray once a week? So that disqualifies. That means you're not praying. 23% of Christians in churches say they do not pray at all. 23%. That's concerning prayer, the power of prayer that lies within the church. And let me state this emphatically. And just touching on the rapture, because I don't want to focus on this, but here's the point that I want to make in this. If we as the church cannot understand this, we're going to miss it. The misconception about the rapture is because everybody asks this one question, when? We already have the answer to that. We know the answer when Christ is going to come. And the answer is this, we will never know. Because Christ himself said, only the Father knows. 
Why do we even bother getting into dialogue and all these date setters and looking at all these things? We have missed it. We should ask the question, why is there a rapture? Not when. Prayer. When we come back to prayer now, listen to this. If we just divide prayer up according to how men pray and how women pray, daily, they say Christians, Christian men, those who pray daily are 41% and the women 59%. So that means, okay, those are women, those are women who are clapping. Here is the thing. If 40% of men are praying, it means 60% are not praying daily. And I ask this question then. Whom did God make to be the head of the house? If you are the head of the house, men, we being the head of the house, and 60% of men are not praying daily, what is that house of yours looking like? Hard words. But I will not retract what I'm saying because I want to prove another point. Can all of those who are under 30 years old please stand for me? Everyone under 30 years old, please stand for me. Look around you. Everyone at church, look around at these people who are 30 years and younger because statistics say 16% of them under the age of 30 will pray daily. 16%, and that's on us as the fathers of the homes and the wives, because this is the generation who's not going to know how to pray, because that's on us. Only 16% of them praise daily. Thank you, you can all be seated. What are we giving them concerning prayer? What chance do we give the new generation for success? How do we help when 40% of men are only praying daily? And the other 60%, they don't know what they're doing, They know what you fill your time with. And for the woman as well, you are not excluded. Because here's the truth concerning prayer. It will cost you. We hate to hear that word, the word called, that ugly word called sacrifice. There's hope to change this, but it's going to cost us. You and I will have to sacrifice. That means we're going to have to train our flesh to start making time to pray. Because yes, the generation that is dying because we're not doing our work. And if you, one of those men, and you're not praying daily in your house, you're impacting your marriage, your wife's relationship with you, your children, you're setting them up for failure because what example are we giving to our children out there? I don't come up with these figures. These are researches that have been done You know what the point is that they mention here? Men are lazy. Spiritually, Satan has come for us and we're all falling for that. All of us are falling for that. And we have to, in this month of October, get our act together. Because if we're going to get to the end of October and we really want to see that weapon of mass destruction through prayer, where things change, if we want to see that, we have to start with ourselves. In this church, I've always believed this. Okay, these statistics are horrifying, but I've always believed this. This church is not the average. We do not follow. We lead. We push up the average. We don't bring it down. So we know what's lying ahead for all of us. We cannot play games with prayer because it sets up 
the next generation. It gives us what we need right now. And I'll come to scriptures to quote this. I want to start reading something for you out of the book of 2 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4. And before I read that for you, whilst you're getting there, 2 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4. There was this lady, she was a nun, Teresa of Avila of Spain in 1515. Listen to what she said about prayer. Prayer and comfortable living. Prayer and comfortable living. They do not go together. They are incompatible. If you want your prayer life to receive answers, forget about comfort. Do to your flesh what your flesh do not want. And that's it. Force it. Force it to become known to God. None of us willingly want to get up early in the morning. None of us willingly want to pray in the early hours. But when you train your body, it becomes used, it becomes used to that particular pattern that you set for itself. She also said this. Souls without prayer are like people whose bodies and limbs are paralyzed. They possess hands and feet, but they can't control them. And then lastly, this one caught me. When we pray, we pay God a compliment by asking great things of Him. How beautiful is that? When we pray to God, we pay Him a compliment by asking great things from Him. What is it that you are asking? Do you ask small things or do you ask big things? Where is your faith to ask? Is it for small things or for big things? Let's read 2 Peter 1 verse 3 to 4. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Verse 3, by His divine power, God has given you everything that pertains to life. Everything. By what? By God's divine power. The single thing that is missing from the prayer of a believer, power. We all want it. We all believe in it. But few ever get it because we just don't get what that power is. The word is dunamis, and we've heard about it before. It's the only form of power that is defined as the kind of power that ushers in or brings in miracles. We as believers don't get power. Most of us don't get it. We want it, but we've got no idea how to get there because we miss what he said in Luke 10 verses 19. God says there, all through Christ, all authority has been given to us to trample on serpents and scorpions and then power over all of the enemy. You see, we want to rush in and have the power of the enemy, but we do not know what is authority. The song we just, that we just sang, that last song said that. All authority is in Christ. We don't know our authority. Hence, we are paralyzed and we do not know how to operate in power. The body of Christ has been lazy and a hamstrung because of power because we do not know how to, how to enter into it. Christ gives us the example here. 
what does authority mean? I'll give you the definition now as well, but I want to explain something so you can get the basis of what authority is. When an author writes a book, well, let's say an author writes a book, he does or she, they do the research. They find all the background to it. They get the stats, the information, and the facts. They've got a team that helped them so that when they write that book on that particular topic or theme, they have done all the hard work and they give proof of the evidence that they have obtained to write that book pertaining to that particular topic or that particular theme. They, in other words, are experts at what they are writing at because of the research that they have done. That is where authority comes from. You are the author of that. And when we come to the authority in Christ, Christ is the authority. Whoever wrote this book wasn't the 40 plus authors who wrote this. It was by the leading of God's Holy Spirit. He is the author. Therefore, everything in here, he can attest to. He can prove it, which he does. That is what authority is. We have that authority in Christ. The Greek is the word esousia, and it means we have the competence and the delegated influence and the jurisdiction. We have that through Christ to trample on the enemy. But we're running around like wounded animals fearing the enemy because we are wondering where is the power of God, but we have not taken up the authority which has been given to us through Christ. The moment you take up authority, the power will come and you will see the outcome of that. We have been given that authority and the body of Christ is suffering because we are not exercising the authority that's been given to us. When you pray with authority, it means you are an expert of the things that you're praying about because you know him who is the author of that which you are praying about. And God wants us to know this. He wants us to walk in this. The power then comes automatically. And even when the power comes, we are warned. And it's in the verse just after that, Luke 10, 20, it says, don't marvel. In other words, don't be overcome by what you've just done. It says, don't marvel that demons are obedient to you. That's what happened when we exercise the power because of the authority. Demons are obedient to us. He says, don't even marvel about that, but rather that your names are written in the heavens. Because none of this is our doing. None of this is our doing. It's the grace of God that came upon us. And because of that grace, the gift of salvation came upon us. You and I just responded to that gift of salvation. And we've confessed that Christ is our Lord. And now God is saying the church must pray because I've given them the tools to pray. We have all heard about the armor of God. Now, I just want to briefly point to three things. And I'm not going to go in great detail, but in Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 18, three things I want to point out here. It starts then, verse 11. These three things. First, it says here, it says in verse, verse 10, sorry, be strong in the Lord and his might. That strong means to, to, to be empowered and to be made strong. You see, we often want to take up the armor of God. But God says, take up the full armor, the whole armor. And then he says there, be strong. You have to be strong when you take up the armor. It's not a thing that you take up loosely. Be strong. Be strong in the Lord, it says. Be strong in the Lord and his might. Then verse 11 says this, and stand against the wiles of the enemy. That word stand means you must be established, lay hold of that, and then continue in that. So now we've got to be strong, and we've got to stand, and this word stand appears in verse 13 and 14. It says, having done all 
to stand. Then verse 14, stand therefore, not lying down, stand. That means you are in a position to go into action. That's why you stand. So you're strong and then you stand. And then God says, when you now put on the full armor of God, what's the first thing that he says? Gird your loins with the belt of truth. That means your foundation from here on in must be based on the truth. Everything else must follow. But if it's not based on the truth, everything is frivolous and of no use and got no power. What is the truth that we are holding on when we pray? When we pray and we pray God's word, what is the truth concerning God's word that we pray? Because we've got to stand and we've got to be strong, but we can only do that when we are anchored in the truth. Christ is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. This is the only place when the full armor of God is at full work, is when you do it this particular way. I want to get to Esther, and here you can turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Esther chapter 4, and I'm coming in for a close here. I want to point a few things out concerning Esther and why it's so powerful in what she did and how she was led to do this. So as you're going to the book of Esther, I'm going to read a few verses, but just once again, Mordecai, her relative, received the bad news that an edict was passed and that there was a set date determined that the Jews were going to be killed. In those days, that, uh, an edict was lawful and it could, could not be canceled. So Mordecai comes to the city and he is in sackcloth. And what is Esther's first response? Let's read there. Verse 4. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about, about Mordecai now being clothed in sackcloth and ashes. And the queen was deeply distressed. Okay, so Esther had compassion. She was deeply distressed. But what does she now do? She sent garments to clothe Mordecai and to, so that they can take away his sackcloth. And I recently listened to a particular sermon and I read some commentary about this. And it's amazing how they all come to the same conclusion. From that day, it seems the church was always caught up in a beauty pageant. It is. Who looks the best on stage? Whose social profile is the best out there? How good does the worship leaders look? How is our social image out there? Who drives the best cars out there? The church is in the news because of that. Where's the miracles that they're supposed to post out there in the news articles? The church has been embroiled in a good-looking campaign ever since then. What did she want to do? Clothe him, giving better garments. And what did Mordecai do? He rejected that. He rejected that because he was greatly disturbed of the things that he's heard. Don't come and polish me. Don't come and fill me with Gucci suits and whatever. This is what he was speaking. There's a serious matter at hand here. Let's address that. So the news got back to Esther and suddenly she realized this was a serious thing. So Mordecai said to her, you've got to go to the king and address this issue. What was her first reaction? Me, you've got to be crazy. You yourself know, and I'm paraphrasing here, you yourself know that when you go to the king uninvited, you will surely die. What did she see? The first thing when trouble came, she had difficulty. But that whole year in pampering and in lotions, there was no problem. She was now living in the comfort of the palace, one of the concubines, and it was just dandy. And when she was challenged with the truth concerning her own nation, to God be the glory, she took up her place. No longer did she see herself powerless, but Esther realized she had authority. She was the queen, and to her was given the authority to go to the king 
She's the only one who had that place. And what did she say to all of them? Go and tell Mordecai and all the people of Israel, enter into a fast with me and my maidservants and the eunuchs. We will fast for three days. And we have to understand this. And they said yeah, they would eat no food and they would drink nothing. We have to understand this. This was not a wayless exercise. Because we have to deduce from this, and commentary confirms this, when you went to a, a fast such as this, it was obviously, obviously, together with prayer. For three days and three nights is all that they did. They fasted and they prayed. And the outcome was, how beautiful it is said. Just see the symbolic here. It said, after three days, she didn't go to anyone and ask. She got up, clothed herself in a royal clothing, a royal tunic, and she went to the king. Can you see Christ after three days getting up, clothed in the resurrected body, walking out of the grave? This is what we have. We as the church have got that kind of authority given to us by Christ. Many years ago when I was in a particular job, we were, I was reaching a stage in my career where I realized I wasn't going anywhere quickly. You know, you get to a place where you realize there's, there's no further growth. And my wife and I decided we'll go on a fast. And we did it for 10 days. So the whole God leader led me to, go, to, to fast for 10 days, or led us. And by the seventh day, I think it was, I received a call. A company phoning me and they offered me a job. And I immediately knew this was from God, so I accepted. And then I wanted to rejoice and say, yes, God came through for me and God reminded me, you have said 10 days, you must complete your 10 days. And I did. And glory to God, and I did. And isn't it amazing, in that month that I worked my notice, I had two job offers from that same company. Ideal. A month prior to that, I would have jumped at those opportunities. And you know what? When the, when the, when the MD of the, the Johannesburg office called me in, and he, he called me in because he was on leave the week that I handed in my resignation. He came to me, and he, and he said, please sit down. He said, yeah. And he, and he pushed a piece of paper to me, and he said, yeah. Here's your new contract with the new promotion, the new benefits and everything. And I looked at him, and I pushed it back, and I said to him, you know what? And his name was Colin. And I said to him, Colin, you know what? I've got the greatest of respect for you. But I will not work here, even if you offer me a million rand. I have prayed and fasted for this, and God has answered me. I'm not leaving this company because I'm unhappy. I'm leaving because God has opened up a new door for me. And he totally respected it. Never gave me any difficulty about this. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures to you quickly here. Luke 18, 8 says this. God will give swift justice for those who don't give up. I, I read out of the, the, the Passion Translation. So be ever praying, over expect, ever expecting, just like the widow was with the judge. Yet, when the Son of Man comes back, Will he find faith? Will the church, the body of Christ, operate in faith? Because you can never have faith and no prayer. I want to go as far back as this. Previously when I mentioned those churches where there's hardly prayer in there and they're preaching false things about the rapture, I want to say this. If a preacher stands on a pulpit and the church is not a church that is praying, number one, if a preacher stands on a pulpit 
and they do not preach the fullness of what this, this, this book is, then I tell you now, not only that preacher, but that whole church is in a backsliding state. You cannot preach off the gospel. You cannot choose what you want to preach there. You cannot decide that prayer is not important. Why? Because of all the things that the disciples wanted to know when they came to Christ. They could ask him anything. And they said, please teach us how to pray. The only thing. They could ask many, many things. And they asked him this, please teach us how to pray. Why? Because they saw him doing it. And they saw the results. They saw the miracles. They saw circumstances change because of that kind of prayer. And they said, we want that. Teach us how to do that. On a Saturday morning, when we pray, we don't play games. If you haven't been here before, we invite you. We will not be playing games when we're building up to the 30th, the 30th of October. This whole October month, we are praying for this nation. We will have a government that will change. We will have ESCOM that will work. We will have an economy that will revive. And we will have salvation amongst family and friends because God says the fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. And I trust His word, not what the world says. This church, don't play games when we pray. We will have what we've asked for, not because we're arrogant, because we know our authority in Christ. We know who God is. We know what is sundered, and we know what the Holy Spirit is and who He is in us. Start preparing yourselves. The days of lukewarmness is over. And if you are one of those statistics that do not pray daily, go and change it. Let's push that statistic up. Let's start impacting our family lives. Set up the young people for a successful future. Give them a decent and an honest opportunity. Don't set them up for failure. We can't give them things in this land as it is already. We must speak what we want so that they can have and see what we have because of prayer. We must be that example. I've always determined this, and I close off with this. I once had the privilege of preaching a short message, and in that message, God led me how to lead for fathers in that particular message. I think it was uh, Ephesians 6.4 how to encourage your children. And I was building up and building up in preparation. And you know what? One thing struck me. I, I, almost, I almost fell on my back of how serious this matter is. And God asked me this question, so to speak, in my preparation. He said, who do you want your children to follow? All the fathers, raise your hands for me. Where are you? Raise all the fathers. Whose role model do you want your children to look at as a father? And the mothers, raise your hands for me. Who do you want your daughters to follow to be a mother like and your sons to look at a wife when they look at you? We have got the chance and the opportunity to change a generation. Let's get ready for that prayer and building up to October. The time for playing games is over. Time for playing games is over. If we want what we want, for this nation and our children, we have to be serious before God. Will we get resistance? Absolutely. But God says persevere because he fights the battle for us. Not my battle, but persevere. You are not alone. Look around you. There are prayer warriors all around you. I see many of you here on a Saturday. We want more of you. I say to all cell leaders and people in cell, it's time to pray that your cells will multiply. It's time to pray that new cells will start up. 
I say to all of you who are going through hardship in finances, why? Why is it that you're suffering? It's not God's will for you. But what are you praying? What are you doing? Are you doing right in the eyes of God? And are you speaking God's word over your finances? God is not moved by seasons. God determines seasons. He's in charge of it all. And we must take what is ours rightfully in Christ because He gave us that authority. Amen. Amen. Yes. Let's give God a praise. Hallelujah. Please bow your heads for me. Now, we will never leave a Sunday evening unless we present everyone with this opportunity. Some of you have not been walking a great road at the moment and are struggling perhaps. Some of you have never made the confession that Jesus is Lord of your life. I actually want to challenge every person that you know that your prayer life is not where you ought to be. You have moved in a state where you're not pleased with your walk with God. If that is you, Will you please raise your hands for me? Because we want to pray for you. We cannot let this moment pass by. I've got one, two, great. There's more there. Wonderful. Raise your hands for me. Raise your hands for me. Don't be shy. It is the time for us to make right with God. If you are going to go into October month and you know things are not right with you and God. And I don't have to labor this point because you will know it as you will know it. If you need to make right tonight with God, please raise your hand for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, wonderful. Can I ask all of those who have raised their hands, please come to the front for me, because you are that precious and that special. We want to pray for you. Yes. Yeah. Please come to the front. Come and stand in the front for me, please. And let's welcome this. Give me a proper welcome here. Yeah. Wonderful. You know, when they come with such conviction that their lives are about to change, then God has touched them. The Holy Spirit did His work. I'm going to give it one last invitation because I don't want to skip and pass this by. If you feel you need to be in the front and you know you need to be in the front, please come. Please come. Because God is that serious about you. <laughs> Wonderful. Amen. Amen. Can we please have some more? Oh, there's another one coming. Great. Great. Let them come. Let them come. The devil is not going to take from them what they need to receive tonight. And if you're concerned, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Look at what God is doing. Isn't this wonderful? Come, let's come. They help us. We can't leave them here alone. They are so, so precious. You are really so precious. It's wonderful to see the work that God is doing. I want all of you to look at me and just consider this for one moment. There's not a day in your life from today onwards that you ever need to look down again. Never again. Never again. I don't care what people have said about you. It matters not. God's opinion is the only one that matters. Those who have harmed you, those who have hurt you, those who have said things about you, all I ask is this, how dare they? 
God reprimanded me once when I dared speaking about a particular person. I was, I was in a discussion and I was agreeing about how bad this particular person was leading. It's, it's somewhere in the political field. And you know what God said to me? He said, how do you dare criticize my creation? So woe to all of those who spoke against you because God is so much greater who fights for you. And I want to say to you, well done, congratulations that you've come to the front. This one year, sorry, what's your name? Anya. I saw you just now when you put up your hand and I had to wait for you to come. Not discounting what you have been doing, but the night could not have been done without you coming to the front because you know something was holding you back. And you are here and God is so delighted as he is with every single one of you. Do you know that he's called you by name? Do you know that before you were formed in your mother's womb, he already knew you? Before this world, before the foundation of this world, he already knew you. He knows your future. And what you're going to do tonight when you receive Christ and you follow in that way, you know what he says? He says there's an eternity waiting for you. And this world has got nothing on you. Nothing that this world will throw at you can take this away what you are doing tonight. So come, I'm going to pray and I ask you to pray after me. And can I ask the congregation to raise our hands towards them and just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, before you we come in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Lord, please forgive me all of my sins as I forgive all people that have sinned against me. The punishment of my peace was upon Jesus Christ. And by his stripes, I am healed. I therefore confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. And I believe that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Heavenly Father, Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your Lamb's book of life. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. For more teachings like this and other material, please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com.